Welcome to Conversations That Matter podcast. My name is John Harris, and I'm honored to have with me today Tom Buck, aka, as James White calls you, the troublemaker from Texas. And I didn't know that for a while. I didn't know who you were, but now I do. So you're, you're infamous. <laughs> and uh, then Jared Longshore from Founders Ministries. Appreciate the work you guys are doing. Uh, you it's the peacemaker here. from Florida. <laughs> All right. So we got a troublemaker and a peacemaker. This is going to be exciting. Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of conversation going on over the last week since it's been eight days since resolution nine passed and uh, all sorts of angles to look at this thing from. And, and I kind of want to take a step back and not really talk about resolution nine, but just kind of the Southern Baptist convention as a whole uh, advice for laymen, advice for pastors, because there's a lot of laymen and pastors who are concerned now who didn't know about critical race theory or intersectionality two weeks ago, and now they do. And um, so how do we approach this topic? And I wanted to start off, if it's all right, I wanted to play a clip for you guys. And We're not hearing it on our end. Oh, you're not hearing it? No. no. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm just going to tell you what, what he's saying. You might have been in the uh, room when this particular um thing was happening so uh essentially the the uh, board the, the presidential search committee at new orleans got up and was talking about their search committee and um in the course of that he, he says that you know, they had this many of this ethnicity and this many of this ethnicity and it was a great search committee because of the diversity of the search committee i don't know if you remember that when you were uh there and you know, th this obviously didn't make headlines. It's, it's small potatoes. It's not a big deal. Um, but this, in my mind, kind of was just the flavor that I would I'd get every time I turned on the Southern Baptist Convention. It was some kind of, you know, diversity uh, push of some kind. And, um, and, and so we've been talking about Resolution 9 quite a bit. Um, but I just wanted to take a step back for a moment and ask you guys, since you were there, you know, Resolution 9 is getting the headlines, but is there a flavor, kind of a backdrop to this that is just in the water? Or, you know, where is the SBC leadership, you think, on critical race theory, intersectionality, identity politics? Like, if you could put a percentage on it or give a further definition. Tom? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I don't know how to really answer that question completely. I think what you're seeing at the convention is a reflection of the leadership of the president, um, Dr. Uh, J.D. Greer, um, and many things that I respect him for. I think that I was, you know, I think his uh, push towards evangelism and every Southern Baptist uh, is passionate enough about evangelism to have someone in their life that is their one, as he's calling it, to to reach for Christ, I think is was one of the highlights and encouraging things. Um, but on the other side, we know that, uh, Dr. Greer has consistently talked all year long about wanting to have diversity. And every time that he has appointed, uh, a committee, at least the times that I've seen it, he's, uh, heralded the fact that about the diversity of, of that, uh, last year, uh, he used the very language of that we would find within those who hold a critical race theory and intersectionality when he said that. We need to, he talked about, along with Dr. Moore, with empowering women, and uh, Greer specifically said, tear down the hierarchical structures. Yeah. So I'm not going to say, and I, I don't know what's in people's minds. 
Uh, I don't know what's in their hearts. Only God knows that. Sure. So I don't know if, if there is an intentional employing of critical race theory and intersectionality that people have sat down and said, we're going to bring this into the life of the SBC. But there is no doubt that the concepts and the way of talking that you hear those who completely hold to critical race theory and intersectionality uh, has in, been injected into the conversations of Southern Baptist life, infiltrated into the way that many of the leadership think, at least in how they express what they're thinking. And so that's why there's a huge concern for me with Resolution 9, because I believe we're already utilizing what they're calling analytical tools, but the world mindset's already there. And I think you get that when you have reports like that from the seminary that says, what makes what we're doing great is the fact that we are being diverse and how that we go about pointing a leader. Uh, it used to be that qualifications were what mattered and that we didn't look at someone's ethnicity or someone's gender to be the qualification, a qualification bar uh, mark or whatever, but now it is. And if it's not included, it's considered to be out of bounds. So I, I think there's a serious problem. I, I don't be interested in what Jared might say. Yeah, it's a it's a hard question to answer um, because of what critical race theory and intersectionality are. You know, they are these theories, and I'm I don't claim to be an expert in it. Neil Shinvey's stuff has been very helpful to me. I read uh, Richard Delgado's book, which was yeah. recommended by Jarvis Williams at Southern Seminary. He said, "I wish I think some like he wishes every evangelical would read this book." So I read that. Very good. Um, I know Curtis Woods, who was the chair of that resolutions committee, is a friend. You know, I was standing there uh, trying to. Um, speak for Tom's amendment on the floor of the convention. I know he saw me. I texted him right after and said, you know, I love you, brother. And I, I don't believe that it's just an analytical tool. I believe that it is uh, a philosophy that's contrary to Christ. And we need to identify that before we're going to employ it as any kind of analytical tool. So uh, you've got like the high level people that are studying critical theory, going all the way back to Horkheimer and the Frankfurt School. Right. Are, are wanting to appreciate nuance and all that. And then you got the way it shakes down in common practice and common culture where we sure. begin to think in these categories and it begins to, I don't, what's interesting, Colossians two, where it says guard against these worldly philosophies. I'm not sure that people know when they're being kind of discipled by this philosophy. And so things kind of pop out here and there that, that don't sound right to somebody who's looking at the text and going, that doesn't sound right. And you can find certain themes in scripture that might run along the lines. I mean, we, the problem is we do care about the oppressed. We do right. care about um, seeing that women are flourishing in Christ. Right. Uh, we do uh, know that those who are given to homosexuality are, are hardened and blinded, and we want them to come out of that to Christ. So it's interesting. We're seeing a lot of the same problems, but you have different solutions that are being offered. And you, you have to be able to speak clearly to these things and acknowledge qualifications. So I think that in some ways, when I look at Southern Baptist, the, we, were, we were so stronger doctrinally when we began. If you go back to 1845, right. at the first Southern Baptist Convention, 293 delegates, and every one of them came from churches or associations that held to the 1689 Confession. Well, I mean, we can't even talk about strengthening the Baptist faith, the message a little bit right now without getting in trouble for being too doctrinal. And so if you look at the 20th century, the Southern Baptists have been pragmatic. Our evangelistic strategy, the, the presuppositions about how we engage the world um, kind of worked in the 1950s. And now that culture has changed. 
And I, that's the concern is like, we have some pragmatic presuppositions, some theological malnutrition, and the culture has shifted on us with a Burgerfell and the way the world's thinking now. And so I don't think that, you know, I don't think that a bunch of the SBC leaders are, are really well-educated in critical theory and trying to advance critical race theory, intersectionality. Some of them may be, um, but I think many of them are probably just used to functioning how Baptists function and some of these ideas about um, kind of an egalitarian worldview, they're adopting them and they're speaking more and more in those categories. So that's a little bit of my thoughts about the lay of the land. Yeah, that's good. And I'm, I'm glad you left room there. You, you mentioned that either people are doing this because we can't judge necessarily heart motives when we haven't heard what everyone thinks, but it's not necessarily something that they're conscious of. Uh, at least some of them, it's just kind of in the water. You just kind of absorb certain aspects of uh, this push for diversity. And so um, I, I think that's what I was sensing. Now, um, my, my next question, because I think setting the stage for knowing what we're dealing with is important. How serious is this? And I don't mean necessarily the ideas. We know the ideas are serious, but as far as to what extent that they have reached in Southern Baptist life, um, kind of what are we, what are we up against uh, if we want to sound the alarm about critical race theory, intersectionality, liberation theology? You want to start with that, Tom? <laughs> well, I think one of the things that we're against is that most people are ignorant of what those concepts mean. They're ignorant of their origin. They're ignorant of their world, the, the reality of the worldview that they both hold. And, uh, and Southern Baptists, I'm afraid, I don't think the messengers had a good working knowledge of, of what they were voting on. Um, if, if the leaders aren't well-versed, as Jared said, in uh, critical race theory and intersectionality, I certainly don't think that the people uh, that were messengers were. It's kind of like this, you know, um, Howard Hendricks used to say in preaching that a, uh, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. And I would say that a mist from that committee is going to be a tremendous fog in Southern Baptist life regarding these things. And um, we, we already have a world that's filled with pushing identity politics and pushing uh, many of the tenets of critical race theory and intersectionality. And so I think that it's going to seep in more and more. I compare it to this. When I was uh, going off to Bible college in the 80s, the big battle was we can employ uh, worldly psychology, Freud, Skinner, and we can use the tools that they give us to bring in to understand counseling better as long as we do not allow those, that worldly psychology to subvert scripture. Right. It's very, very similar in, in my thinking. We were waving red flags then saying this is, these analytical tools are not going to stay analytical tools very long. Now we have swaths of churches. In fact, I don't think most churches do biblical counseling. Most of them do this integrated type thing where there's an eclectic approach. And the problem with worldly psychology is somewhat the same as CRT and IS, and that is they both have a fundamentally flawed anthropology. And if you don't have your anthropology right, you will never get your soteriology right. And that's one of my biggest concerns about this. Agreed. 
Yeah, yeah I, I think it is a big problem. Pastorally, we are all over this in our church, and it's not it's not that we want to, it's not about just discipling our people to understand what critical race theory is, or critical theory, or intersectionality, or even radical feminism. It's, it's that, <laughs> I remember hearing when I was, I don't know how long ago this was, right when I was, had our, my first child, I was listening to uh, Ted Tripp. And he was talking about shepherding a child's heart. And he said, you know, we live in an egalitarian world. And in an egalitarian world, here's how you think about authority. You know, you can have authority over me if you're stronger than me. Or you can have authority over me if I let you have authority over me. But he's like, we don't live in an, an egalitarian world. We live in a hierarchical world. Right. God's hierarchical world. And my mind was just blown. You know, uh, there's a book called The Accidental Feminist. I was like the accidental egalitarian worldview guy. I said, yeah, that, I, we live in a hierarchical world. And so it's not surprising to me that we've had people at the highest levels of the SBC saying, let's tear down all hierarchy and saying, um, kind of buying into that way of thinking. I think our people, I don't think it's just a problem with the leaders of the SBC. I think it's indicative of what's going on in the churches. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of known for, um, you know, in love for our flock kind of elbowing Disney princesses constantly because this is this is all that happens I mean you, you track down every single princess story and there's some ignoramus dad that's standing in the way of her being free of her doing whatever that she real love yeah. she wants to do Patrick Deneen he's a professor I think at Notre Dame wrote a great book called why liberalism failed and he talks about this like de deconstructing of all hierarchy so I, I think it's it's just there in so many ways. Um, there's, there's a very popular song about, um, what was it, the greatest showman thing, and this woman singing about, you know, she was, she was kind of put down, and she, it's very clear she was oppressed, and she said, I know I deserve your love because there's nothing I'm not worthy of. And I said, what in the world? We've got people singing this and not thinking about it, and the, the let it go thing with Elsa, you know, no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. It's all about being freed from this kind of, oppression so i think the worldview is set in deep and we have to we have to help people understand god's hierarchical world the way he's designed it um yes there are victims yes there are the oppressed but we have to think about this in categories of god's holiness and our sinfulness and human depravity and and then apply right solutions I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, this has been going on predating terms that even existed, like intersectionality and critical race theory, this march towards egalitarianism, autonomy, freeing mm -hmm. oneself from the constraints of nature and the constraints that God has uh, given us in his special revelation. So, um, so it's coming in from the culture, like you said. And, uh, and so, as, as you said, Tom, um, we need to educate uh, first and foremost so, so I have a specific question. Um, I've gotten this a number of times. Let's say there's a layman and they're sitting in church and their pastor, and this has happened many times, starts to preach uh, some egalitarian messages uh, from the pulpit or things that just, they just don't sound right. And they sound like uh, they could be from this worldview that um, you know, allies itself with intersectionality and critical race theory, so forth. What should the layman do? What's step one, uh, Tom? Well, I think step one is to seek clarification. Um, I do think that one of the things that happened on my side of the fence, so to speak, those who are passionate about trying to defend 
every form of truth, we can uh, quickly begin, begin renunciation instead of seeking for clarification. So I think that you always start there. Uh, I think you don't make assumptions. So you need to go have a conversation, uh, hopefully, uh, and this is what is a little concerning to me in Southern Baptist churches, is uh, hopefully they would have an elders, a group of elders, because I think that a group of solid men who are uh, qualified according to First Timothy 3 and are grounded in the word will always think better together in, in sharpening one another than one guy at the helm. So it does bother me a little bit uh, that I think our ecclesiology is going to be uh, lead to more dangerous use of things like this. But I think you go to clarify. If you have elders, you go to clarify with them. I would not go in accusatory fashion. I would go, like I said, clarifying, asking questions. What What did you mean when you said this? And and I think it's fine to say, you know, this is the world's view of this. Where do you, where are you finding this in Scripture, and, and why did you um, express it the way you did? So clarification is where I would begin. And then, um, depending on what you get from answers from that, will depend where you go next. Jared might have further thoughts and talk about what do you go with, where do you go next if, yeah, Jared, what if your pastor says, I disagree with you, and I'm going to keep uh, promoting uh, racial reconciliation, which means the church needs to be involved in reparations, or I'll give you a specific example of someone who came to me. Um, you need to apologize to someone else in your church who shares a last name with you, because that must mean that your family owned their family 100 years ago, 200 years ago. Um, and the pastor just says, I'm going to hunker down here and I think I'm sticking to truth. Where do you go after that? Yeah, if it's, uh, if it's on the, the specific example of reparations or saying that you need to apologize to somebody who you have not wronged, then you have a problem in those two, in those two cases. So, you, you know, if your pastor, if you make, make sure I uh, clarify, if your pastor stands up and says, uh, hey, you, you white person who has the same name as a black person in your congregation, you need to apologize to him. Um, just for having the same name because of what might happen in your great, great grandfather. That would be shocking to me if a pastor said that, if he doubled down that on that, and that's a big problem. So yeah, I would, I would try not to be easily offended and just go and sit with your pastor and say, well, by, by what standard am I to apologize? Like I want to confess my sin. I want to repent of it. I hate my sin. I want to kill it, but I don't want to get caught up in trying to kill fake sin. I got too much real sin to kill. <laughs> Good answer. And, um, and so I would be very gracious to him and like try to peer out and hopefully he sees that. And then you deal with the book. You have the standard. Uh, yeah, you do need elders. And again, anytime in a, in a broader deal with this clarification, I'm with Tom. That's exactly right. And get and go directly to the pastor with that. Don't, don't think, well, let me go ask a whole bunch of other people in the church, see what they think, and then go to him. You need to go sit directly with that pastor, and you probably will get it resolved. And if you don't get it resolved, well, then uh, meet with the pastor and another elder and, and see if he's willing to do that. Can we sit down? If you still have pressing questions, and this is a troubling, this is a tough spot because, yeah, I mean, if, if your pastor gets up and says, Micah 6 eight, you know, what does God require of you to do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God? Uh, he's not a critical race theorist, right? So I do think there are people that will, that are, that are hot and that are, that are going to think that way. So you want to, it's a murk in some ways, cause it's a philosophy. It's kind of a murky area. Make sure like you did the specific examples, great reparations. If somebody's advocating for that, that's a big deal. We need to sit down and talk about the book. What's it mean to 
um, restore. Check out founders.org, by the way. We talked about reparations. You can go to our, the Sword in the Trial podcast. And what's the difference between restitution and reparation? Let's have a Bible study. Let's look at the text in the Old Testament. How did this operate in the Old Testament? Uh, how should it operate now? And, and so patiently deal with that, get clarification, go to the pastor first. If their tension is still big enough, it's a big enough issue, bring in other elders into that conversation and then uh, go from there. Let me say as well that um, as we clarify things here that this, what we're both saying, what all of us on the side have been saying is that there, we have to have a standard and the standard has got to be God's word. It's got to be the law of God. If we do not allow God's word to be the standard, then critical race theory or intersectionality begins to, to be the standard. That's one of the, another thing the resolution did not articulate. It talked about scripture as a whole. It would have been great if it had said the law of God is the thing that determines finally what, you know, how we, uh, as the standard for making our judgments. But yeah. I, I want to say this about just the type of church. Not only, I, I believe ecclesiology is so important, even when we're talking about issues like this, as I spoke about elders, but even back to the issue of, how we handle scripture. Everybody needs to be in a church where the pastor is handling the scripture in an expository way. Now I'm not talking about preaching through books of the Bible, although I, that's what I do. And I think that it's a better way to do to preach expositorily, but I'm talking about where that we do not add nor take away to the text. We hmm. allow the text to speak it to be the standard. And if the, if you have a pastor that is up preaching, and can get all kinds of crazy things out of any other passage, then I'm not going to be real surprised if he also finds a way to squeeze critical race theory into Amos 5. So I, I think that we, we've got to be sure that we're in churches that are truly preaching the Word of God in a way that teaches people how to rightly handle the Word of God, because there's a lot of bad application taking place because there's a lot of bad interpretation going on. Let me switch the scenario just a little bit. Um, I, this is another uh, story that um, someone told me who was directly involved, but Southern Baptist Church uh, plant baptizing uh, some lesbians that weren't repentant, but they're hopeful the Spirit of the Lord will work on them. And pastors confronted on it. No, I, you know, I don't. I think this is fine. We're we're going to handle this. We're going to work on them. Sanctification will have its uh, process. And I, I realize we don't know all the ins and outs of this story, but let's just assume that the pastor's grounded. Uh, the leadership is uh, supporting this. And um, it, it, where does where does it become a, an issue of church discipline? How should a layman approach that with a pastor? Because that that is a hard. Um, I mean, you mentioned getting another elder involved. Uh, that's intimidating for a layman. And, and this is a question I've been asked is how do I bring my pastor up for church discipline? We've had these discussions. Uh, whoever wants it. <laughs> I'll let Jared take that one. For me. Yeah. Um, well, we, we are Baptists. I believe Galatians 1, uh, Paul is writing to the churches, and therefore the church has this uh, a final authority when it comes to that man uh, preaching faithfully. Um, when it comes, so, so that the way you're, the way I would counsel a layman to conduct himself when it comes to a pastor who is an heir is going to differ based on the significance of the heir. In the example that you gave of, um, of baptizing a uh, woman who is an unrepentant lesbian, 
well, I mean, if that's very clear and she's continuing in a lesbian relationship and she's not moving out of being with this person and they're continuing to uh, have sexual morality together, well, yeah, you don't, you can't do that. So right. that's a significant deal. I would go meet with the pastors. I'd say, I stand in opposition to this. We need, you know, we don't have to be perfect people, but we do have to be repenting people. And this woman is in an open public lesbian relationship with somebody. Um, so, so you have to deal with it. You go to the pastor and say, this is wrong. This is an error. If he says, no way it's not, then you follow the course of Matthew 18 and gather another person in and go sit down with that pastor again and say, this is wrong. This is an error. Um, you know, I, I would be willing to double down on an issue of baptizing people who are in public grievous sin. Okay. Yeah. And I think that, uh, first of the five, obviously, uh, in correlation with Matthew 18, cause I think it's pointing back to that. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So it's extremely important that, again, clarification goes on and you follow God's word, that God's words are standard in how we handle this. And then once you've called another elder in, if, uh, if it is truly uh, egregious and a violation of God's word in how that those things are being handled and you follow through uh, what First uh, Timothy 5 says, uh, as for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So I am not uh, exempt as a pastor from being held accountable to the congregation for what I teach and what I say. And I'm and that doesn't mean that I don't make errors in speaking, sometimes errors even in uh, what I might preach. Therefore, I'm responsible to be held accountable to the congregation and I'm responsible to repent. So if a pastor is abusing the gospel, which I think that's what it is, if uh, baptizing anyone, I don't care, even if put the, the homosexuality to the side, if they're baptizing someone who is not repented, then that's a huge issue. And I would go to, I would say that that's been going on a lot long prior to a, a situation with, with uh, lesbians. And part of what the problem is, is that we've been asleep at the wheel for a long time regarding these types of things of protecting uh, the doctrine of the church. So, um, Anyway, yeah, I would add in, in cases of like baptizing people that are unrepentant too, I would want, I would call people to patience and clarity again, because especially with a, with our Baptist understanding of we baptize, we're seeking regenerate church membership. What right. does it mean for someone to have repented? So, you know, if I were to dig around in that story a little bit and find out that, Hey, this lady has, has confessed her sin and it's wrong and she's moved out of this home and she's, you know, trying to not contact this lady and she's gone on a while in doing that, but she admits that she still has same-sex lust in her heart, but she's trying to put that to death. And, hey, she happened to text her a couple times, and she shouldn't have. Sure. You know, and then they say, well, we think she's repenting, and she's trusting the Lord that's baptized. And then somebody else says, well, that's not repentance, right? So you can have you can get in all kinds of um, issues on what Second Corinthians 7 means with this, what is the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And I would, I would encourage in those kinds of situations where it's not crystal clear, like she's not blatantly in this public relationship, you need to defer to the elders and you need to defer to those who are on the ground in those conversations. They know, they know more elder. We help our people understand. Mm -hmm. You just know your elders are going to know more about these discipline cases than you are as a, as one of the members of the church. And certainly we want to give you as much information as necessary when we call for the church to act. 
but keep that in mind. And the 1689 confession is helpful on this, that at times when there's real conflict in a church to bring in other churches, though we believe that every church is autonomous and uh, Jesus has given the keys of the kingdom to that congregation. Um, there's still great wisdom in saying, let's bring in other elders and get pers- outside perspective. So that's another option. It's a great one, work. I agree. One of the tendencies that I've noticed is laymen who get upset about something. And in this case, we're, I mean, we could talk about a number of issues, but we're talking right now about kind of a political movement, sociological movement, so forth, coming into the church. They hear something on Sunday that offends them, or they, maybe it's legitimately not right, and they just leave. And um, they don't follow these steps. And, um, and I, I think what you're saying, and, and I, I would agree with it, is this needs to be followed and pursued. If it's pursued, would you agree, and, and you know, they don't get anywhere, the pastor and the elders are kind of entrenched, they're going to follow something that's unbiblical, a philosophy that is not uh, in accordance with God's word, do you leave then? Do, do you make the decision that we need, our family needs to go somewhere else? I think answer might be obvious, but um. yeah, it's going to depend on the issue for me. So it's just how, how significant is what's going on. So you got to really take that with um, kind of issue specific and what I would counsel somebody to do. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And I'm, this is a big tent. We're talking about this, the social justice movement, broadly speaking, but yeah, a pastor is, let's say, going to hold the critical race theory. And we could take the first example. You need to apologize to this family and you know, I'm not budging. Um, you know, there comes a point, I think, that you know, I, as a husband, I would say, you know what, I can't have my wife under this teaching because it might, it might not be good for her, and I, I've tried everything I can do. Um, so so I, I know there's laymen having a hard time sometimes either breaking those ties or breaking them prematurely. And uh, so what I hear from you guys is Matthew 18, right? Just uh, well. As, as for one passage, and I obviously said First Timothy five as well. Of course, that's yep. you know, the elders' responsibility to help over oversee that. And that's part of the problem of why, or one of the reasons why you need a plurality of elders, because who's going to carry out First Timothy five nineteen to twenty, and mm. really examining those things if it's if if you don't have that. But I want to I want to issue a word of caution in re, in regards to this because having been a senior pastor for twenty five years, I've run into all kinds of people who just aren't happy anywhere. And uh, they're, they always are finding a reason of why this little doctrine or that little doctrine is all here or there. And I think that it's very common for people that are um, passionate about truth to become very, very narrow in, their, in, in uh, the way that they uh, flesh that out of who they can fellowship with. So one of the things I always tell people is, <clears throat> what if you had nowhere else to go? What would you do? And... Um, I think that's always a wise thing to think at the beginning because we just have the ability to pull up and run down to another church down the street. And if we had nowhere else to go, uh, hopefully what we would do is follow the tenets of scripture, uh, try to be very clear about issues of conscience that we can um, allow for, for freedom in. And as Jared said, how important is the particular issue? How, how critical is it to the foundations of the faith and the gospel? So it's, I want to be really careful in how we answer this because I know there's some people that will grab, yep, if you've got a church that's doing a certain thing, pushing CRT and, I, and intersectionality run uh, because they will, they will do it at the drop of a hat, so many people, and they won't do it in a way that's godly and honoring mm-hmm. and it will be 
more to tear the church up than it will to help uh, cl- uh, bring clarification of the gospel and strengthen the church. Yeah, you know, on the uh, CRT, it's interesting. One to show how this is a really tough. It's a really tough topic to think about how to how to work it out in the church. We need wisdom, humility, prayer, fasting, all that. Because one of the one of the principles of uh, CRT is, at least in Delgado's analysis, who's a common who's a who's a modern day critical race theorist, um, he says, you know, that there is a competency that is given to people of color when it comes to addressing racism. Mm-hmm. Well, think about think about what a fine line we're walking. I've tried to say, okay, the the problem is we it is not competency we're we're not going to we're not going to use the language of competency when it comes to address a sin that if you're a certain skin color you know if you're white well you have more competency to address this issue and if you're black you have more competency to address this issue however it is true that in our land um african american people have suffered greatly of the uh, the sin of racism has been against them uh throughout slavery and jim crow and all of that and so should we not listen to people that have experienced something that we haven't? Well, absolutely we should, right? I mean, and so, you know, it's such a loaded stuff. So a pastor comes out and says, we need to have an open ear, you know, because look, if you're a white person, you hadn't experienced some of these things. You just need to be, have an open ear. You need to be patient. You need to listen. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. And I don't want somebody going, oh, he's a critical race theorist. Right. It, so it's their fine points. And especially at a layman's level, it's like, okay, be patient. Um, but, but yeah, you do need to get wisdom and counsel because these are issues that we're facing. Well, Jared, let me ask you this question. See if you agree with this. I believe that, and maybe I'm being Pollyanna in this view, but I honestly believe the vast majority of people in evangelicalism and particularly pastors in local churches that are talking in language of CRT and IS, it's out of a true heart of compassion for people that are, have been suffering. And so they're, they're employing things not to try in nefarious motives to try to infiltrate the church with this evil ideology, mm-hmm. but out of a heart of care and concern of, of individuals like I've talked to that shared with me how they have been, they've suffered levels of abuse at the hands of, of law enforcement. And I mean, stories that I have absolutely verified, there's, they're, they're, these individuals are being honest. And a lot of guys are just responding out of a heart of love and compassion. That doesn't excuse using CRT and IS, but I think that's really what's going on in most cases. Would you agree with that? I, I would agree absolutely. And and I think um, you know, one of the one of the things that I that I think when you talk about using it as an analytical tool, um, I don't know that I don't even know that CRT I'm saying I'm not using CRT now as an analytical tool, but one thing I think people are getting at that are trying to emphasize um, that, that might, I, even that I might disagree with. One thing I want to grant them is that we actually, I think it's the people that believe in a hierarchical world. So if we're egalitarian, here's my pencil, we're egalitarian and somebody here is mean to somebody else. Well, okay, there's a wrong done and it needs to be dealt with. That's the egalitarian world. But if we live in the hierarchical world and we say, oh, we know that there are abuses of power. And when there are abuses of power, it's worse than if you were just in an egalitarian world. And it's like the, the people that understand that God's world is hierarchical should be, should be the guys that are, that are really keen on seeing when there's some kind of oppression and even understanding how mercy and compassion 
uh, work in that and that we don't want to cripple anybody that's that even is a victim we don't want to develop a victim mentality but we do want to acknowledge when there are people that don't have all of the advantages and that does complicate your life um we went and planted a church a few years back in a really tough area and i i was just struck you know it feels like wartime gunshots every night um, people that didn't have fathers or grandfathers that taught them just basic life stuff. They had people take their children to the hospital, didn't know they were supposed to take their children to the hospital when they were in really bad shape. When they did, didn't know that you're supposed to pay money. And, you know, here you are. I mean, how can you not have compassion? Say, oh my goodness, this person needs patience and sympathy and, or empathy. Sure. And, and so I think there's some people are trying to get at that. And I don't want to be quick to be like, oh, you're cultivating a victim mentality. Well, you may be, and we need to guard against that. But it's like, I think the guys that understand the hierarchical design of God's word, world and the way authority works, man, we need to be the, the kind of leading the way and caring for the, the widow, the orphan, the oppressed. Sure. I, I, I'm just going to make a, a quick statement here about critical race theory. Um, th th this is kind of how I see it. Um, it assumes, and this, this is not comprehensive, but this are four things that it assumes that legal cases should be decided according to group identity instead of equality before the law. That biblical hierarchy is oppressive, which you just talked about, Jared. Uh, that children should pay for the sins of their parents, and that it is morally imperative to decenter majority cultures. And and of course, I can put Bible verses next to all four of those to show that it is completely 180 degrees away from what the Scripture says about all of those issues. And my concern, this is maybe stepping back uh, to get a, a big bird's eye view, is that the only hierarchy that's going to exist if critical race theory and, and just critical theory in general were to take its toll is the hierarchy between a federal government, in our case, or just some kind of grand court that is going to arbitrate these things and the individual and us. And, um, and I mean, hierarchy is inescapable. You're going to have it, but we've just gotten rid of God's design for families and churches, et cetera. And, and so, I mean, this is where I think it's going politically and to see it in the church and to march through institutions. And I'm just going to say, I think the, I mean, I was a boy scout. I love boy scouts. I think it's going through the boy scouts. It's going through the NFL. It's going through like all the institutions in our country on some level in some way for it to come to the church. Um, it, it's concerning as someone who's been watching this for years. And, and I've talked to other laymen who, that's kind of the way they look at it. They've been paying attention and, and now they're pastors saying things that are, that seem in line with that. And so I, so I appreciate what you said, be gentle. This is probably good motivations for a lot of these guys. Um, but it's, it's destructive. I mean, fascism had some good motivations behind it initially. A lot of bad ideas do. Um, so anyway, I guess where I was going with that is um, when Laymen or pastors come to you guys who want to spread the word about the, um, the message uh, of critical race theory to educate, as you were saying, needs to happen, Tom. What resources do you send them to? How do you advise them to do it? So laymen first and then pastors. You want to start, Tom? Uh, well... As far, uh, repeat your question, then how to advise so, them to do what again? Yeah, so if they want to educate, uh, so if you're a layman and you want to notify your church leadership, hey, this is a threat and it could be coming to our church. Maybe it isn't yet, but I haven't heard anything. What resources would you put in their hands or what kind of things would you tell them to do in approaching their leadership and then vice versa for a pastor who wants to educate their congregation? 
Well, I would be honest, uh, and I'm not just saying this because Jared's here, but I think Founders Ministries and uh, is is probably the place to start, especially in Southern Baptist life, um, even for laymen, because this is such a hard concept to get your mind around anyway. Uh, critical race theory, intersectionality. I mean, goodness gracious. Um, I'm just really beginning to scratch the surface myself of understanding it better. So uh, Jared can probably tell you exactly where to go, but there's been a, um, a couple of different uh, conferences that have been done and they can find videos where uh, Josh Bice, uh, Vody Bauckham, Tom Askell have all spoken on these issues in ways that I think are uh, non-inflammatory. Uh, they're not incendiary in any way. They're informative and, and uh, completely biblical. In fact, I have a, a, a particular pastor, for example, who was very leery of some of the ways that I was talking about um, the concerns I had around these things. And I pointed them to a couple of videos on um, of, of um, uh, Founders Ministries, and they came back and said, oh, now I get it. I see what you're saying. This is very helpful. And they found it to be very balanced. So that would be where I would send people immediately and, and am sending people. Good. Yeah, that's, uh, you can go to founders.org and then, um, you will contract down on our website, the talks. We had a conference down here in Florida, the Southeast founders regional conference where Vody Bauckham addressed, uh, racial reconciliation. He addressed, uh, ethnic Gnosticism, kind of a yeah. term he's coined. Uh, he addressed cultural Marxism, Josh Bice dealt with complementarianism. I addressed, addressed the sexuality issue, but it was that conference was all about Micah six eight. How do we really do justice? And um, and then Tom's given a talk, uh, I believe, on white privilege. It was really good. Vody's given a talk on social justice. It's really good. So try to track those down. Just in the past year, we also have a YouTube channel, so you can go to YouTube, go to Founders Ministries, and find all of our content there. And then in our podcast, uh, The Sword and the Trowel, we walked through every uh, one of the articles and the statement on social justice and the gospel that was published, I guess, last year sometime. Um, we just dealt with every article Tom and I did trying to get to the root of these things. And we've addressed uh, intersectionality, critical, critical race theory. I would recommend, you know, if any layman's getting stirred up on this and there's a pastor that's just not quite sure, there, there it does it does require wisdom. You know, it's, it's easy to, it's easy to say, well, look at this pastor's, you know, not with it. He's a coward because he won't talk about these things. Mm -hmm. uh, when there's a, when there's a battle, if your church is strong, you, we know, for instance, we're going to get heat because we've talked about this, but by God's grace, Tom's been pastor in Grace Baptist Church for 30 something years and, and the church is strong and healthy and we're able to speak to some of these issues. I would say, be mindful. You don't want to put your pet, you know, you, you don't want to say, pastor, if you're not speaking about these things, you're not being faithful. Well, he, he, he can be leading and shepherding and addressing them. So have those conversations with them, but, yeah. but be patient with that. And um, think about where your pastor is on, on these issues. I was sent this, I don't know if you can see it. It's called uh, social justice versus biblical justice by Calvin. I think it's Beisner. I don't know if you've uh, yeah, seen that. It's got, resource um yeah and i it was suggested to me that this would be a good thing to hand to layman if you're a pastor and for uh you know layman who's concerned to hand to their pastor or uh, elder uh team um uh, so, Jared, what's the book that um uh, doug wilson did a justice prime is Prime. yeah justice prime yeah, a justice primer that's excellent just because that's coming up principles of justice um especially with the sexual abuse stuff is, is fascinating to me and people don't want to 
it's, you know, this takes courage because people don't want to talk about biblical justice. What does it mean to have two or three witnesses? What's right. the difference between sins and crimes? Um, what's accountable witnesses? What does that, what does that have? What does that mean? So that's a great book on that resource. I'd also point people to Melvin Tinker's book um, called that hideous strength, how the West, how the West was lost. He's riffing off of CS Lewis's that hideous strength. Mm. Um, and Tinker is like an Anglican guy, I think from England. And boy, we read that's very small and he gets into cultural mark, cultural Marxism. Um, he, boy, he, it's a very small book, but it's packed full of, of good stuff. All right. Uh, question for you about the convention itself in 2020, and you can take this in any direction you want, but, uh, there are some churches out there and some pastors and congregations who have been educating themselves. And there are some churches that will start to educate themselves now that they're aware because of resolution nine. And, um, and, and they're probably going to want to vote for a president in 2020 they're, They might want to change the direction of some of the things going on in the Southern Baptist convention. Uh, you may have laymen show up. I mean, that's, that's the hope I guess I would have at least, uh, is there, is there, um, kind of a preliminary plan. I know uh, Founders is doing a documentary that you guys want to get into the hands of laymen. I know um, I've talked to Judd Saul and I know they're doing a documentary kind of more broadly, but they want to get that into the hands of laymen. Uh, what is, um, what, what's the plan? You want to start, Jared? Um, we don't have one. <laughs> Pray. <laughs> Pray, preach, you know, I mean, I'm, we're pastors. So when you say, what are we going to do? We're going to preach the word. We're going to shepherd the flock of God. We're going to talk right. to pastors. We're going to pray and we're going to counsel. And um, I am, I'm encouraged by a number of conversations that I'm having with guys that are in the SBC at different seminaries and different organizations. Um, my read on it is that a lot of, even, even, even guys that might think the founders is a little too out front little too strong on these things even guys like that are going hey you know we got something in the water we got a problem mm -hmm. you know so i'm kind of encouraged by that um so when it comes to the upcoming sbc i do think it's a significant one so i would say yes we need to it'll be interesting the presidency thing will be fascinating and the way that goes um you know we i i i think one strategy is we need to talk about what it means to be a joyful warrior um, we need to, we need to reconsider our evangelistic strategy. Look at the book of Acts. How did, how did, how did the gospel advance? It was three yards in a cloud of dust. I mean, it was, it was, you getting kicked out of every city. And so the idea of, of, of the world thinking that we're, we're nice. Well, yes, we need to be kind to all men and, and the qualification for an elders to be well thought of by outsiders. But at the same time, you know, Jesus says, be, beware when all men speak well of you. And rejoice when they they persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you because so they did the prophets. Amen. And I think we need a heavy injection of that into Southern Baptist life so that we are not just saying, oh, well, for the sake of our witness, the world thinks this, so we're going to have to do this. When we go into 2020, I would hope we have a sense of manhood and a sense of honesty and integrity and biblical fidelity and genuine love, speaking truth and grace. I would love to see that kind of permeate, um, which I do think. That is a big course correction from where we've been. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have an idea of a plan either. I, I'm not very. I'm not not very much of a political animal, um, but I do know that in some way politics does play into this to one degree or another. That 
who who the president is shapes the direction to one degree or another the convention. I mean, that's how the conservative resurgence was brought about. And so the reason you had so much focus on diversity at the convention this year is because that's the focus that J.D. Greer wanted and had been talking about. So whoever the president is is going to be doing that type of thing. I expect more of that in at the 2020 convention. I hope that we can see some of this stop. I think we also have to know that it has been for some time, at least several years, that a lot of this ideology of critical race theory and intersectionality has been uh, pushed uh, to one degree or another. And I'm not saying that intentionally pushed, but the concepts are, for instance, the book Divided by Faith. I encourage every single pastor to read Divided by Faith. And the reason I do is because there are those within our seminaries that are pushing this book. Nine Marks has been pushing it. They've been uh, training the interns for several years, requiring them to read Divided by Faith. I think the book's fundamentally flawed. I love those at Nine Marks. They're friends of mine, but I think you you need to read it. You need to see exactly where it's coming from, saying that the problem uh, within within the church today is um, is a white evangelicalism. That's what the book specifically says. Now, I'm not saying that those who are pushing the book to be read embrace everything in that book, but we need to know what the opposition, and I'm not talking about Nine Marks or anything like that at this point, but the opposition of Divided by Faith is doing and pushing into its ideology so that we can also then understand uh, the other side as well. And that will help people see how that these ideologies are being utilized as they go and listen to uh, some of the concerns that, that are raised by Founders Ministry videos and so forth. Jared, is there going to be a place specifically at Founders where we can go and, and a pastor can find these things very readily and accessible without having to spend a lot of time to search? Yeah. Um, well, the, the, the videos we've done, go to the Founders Ministries YouTube page. Follow us on all social media, Twitter and Facebook. You're going to find stuff quickly. When you go to founders.org, um, if you click on, I think it's probably events, or you can use the search to kind of track down specific things, it's going to pop right up for you. Um, our podcast, you can follow our podcast anywhere podcasts are played. So, John, I want to say one other thing about diversity yes. regarding what you asked earlier. And one of the things that, that, and this is coming back to allowing God's word to control us on this. When we come to the New Testament, the emphasis isn't on diversity, it's on unity. Mm. And it's on how, and whenever it talks about diversity, it always talks about it in such a way to show how that we, we were diverse and now we're unified in Christ. So I am really shocked in one sense about where we're taking the worldly concept of diversity and that's what you hear when you hear this at the Southern Baptist Convention. We have to have a diverse board. We have to have a divorce, a, a, a diverse committees, whatever it may be. Um, where did diversity originate if it wasn't as a result of sin? I mean, it's almost like that they argue that God's judgment at the Tower of Babel was his gift of diversity to mankind that's enhanced us all. What we, I think there's a misreading of Revelation 5 because what we see in Revelation 5 is that God overcomes those divisions so that he redeems for himself from every group not to celebrate diversity. The eternity is not going to be gathered around the throne celebrating diversity. It's how God, through Christ, has united all of us into one unified people. We were redeemed out of diversity and into unity in Christ. Amen. And so I believe we need to stop this thing of constantly focusing on how the world does it. What is so attractive about the church of Jesus Christ is that when we come in, 
we're not all in our fed, uh, you know, in our our groups of a federation or whatever you want to say, a federation of groups. We are coming together as one people in Christ, neither male nor female, neither Jew nor Greek, neither barbarian or Scythian. We are one in Jesus Christ. And the more that we emphasize diversity, the more that we're taking away the attractiveness of the gospel that's presented in the New Testament of how we are unified around the table of the Lord Jesus Christ and are no longer defined by those things. So I don't know exactly how we can use the tools of critical race theory and intersectionality, which are solely based in, in pointing out and emphasizing yeah. our differences when the New Testament is constantly pointing us to our unity in Christ Jesus. Good word. Excellent. Uh, that, and that gives hope. Um, I was going to ask you if uh, in some parting comments, you can give hope to folks who are concerned and have been watching this, and that certainly uh, does it. Um, any other parting comments that, that you might have, Jared? No, I'm good, man. Thanks for having us on. It's been great to be with you guys. I do want to say you guys have the most boring Twitter handles I think I've ever seen, uh, at Tom Buck and at Jared Longshore. So, I mean, it's simple. It's memorable. Um, it's not like, you know, Dr. Oakley or whatever. <laughs> like James, finding James White's hard. Or mine's like worldview combos. But you guys... Oh, oh there's not a stronger name than Tom Buck. Come on. You know, I don't know I if change, you noticed. Why would anybody want to change that? That's what I would say. But, <laughs> hey, know, my life's to... ambition is to be average. <laughs> I don't know if y'all noticed. I mean, I, I put different things sometimes in my videos just in the background. And I have behind me, I have a, a buck. I got some oh, antlers. Yeah. And I got some antlers on my desk. And right. I didn't know if anyone would notice them, but. They, you didn't, so I just figured I'd point it out. Well, you know, you think you've seen my uh, pictures. Uh, yeah, that's why you I did it. You notice how many points are on the deer head, right? I haven't counted them, no. There's only five points on that deer head. It's oh, a it's a Calvinist. I gotcha. Settle, settle. <laughs> you remind me of an unreconstructed Dordian, Tom. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, again, founders.org is the website for uh, Jared Longshore and Tom Askell's ministry. You want to go check that out. Uh, God bless you guys. And we'll be praying for you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.